Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. This episode was sponsored by the PVS Studio team. It promotes static code analysis methodology in general and its PVS Studio tools in particular. Static code analyzers allow you to find bugs in source code at the development stage. This helps to reduce the price of fixing them. PVS Studio performs code analysis and issues warnings on the fragments of code with a high probability of having bugs and potential vulnerabilities in them. The tool supports C, C++, C Sharp, and Java, and it can work with Visual C++, GCC, Clang compilers, and some of those used for embedded systems. The analyzer works on Windows, Linux, and macOS. PVS Studio can both be used as a standalone tool and integrated with Visual Studio, IntelliJ IDEA, SonarCube, and so forth. In the show notes, you can find links to the PVS Studio website and the article, Technologies Used in the PVS Studio Code Analyzer for Finding Bugs and Potential Vulnerabilities. As one Twitter user put it, this is at IFO Steve, the plural of regex is regrets, and I tend to agree with him. If you struggle with regular expressions, you're not alone. Regex is a huge pain point for a lot of developers and can be complex to understand. In this episode, we're going to discuss regular expressions in the hopes that they start to look a little less like lying noise and more like the text-based sorcery they really are. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, dude, I got the badge for 100 days of Russian study on one of my phone apps. Dude, way to go. Yeah, 45 minutes to two hours a day for 100 days. That's awesome. Yeah, which, I mean, it's it's fine. Like, I can kind of read the news, and I'm, I'm getting there. My reading speed is definitely way up. Comprehension and speaking is also way up. So, yeah, I mean, I've just put the effort in every day, and I've kind of baked that into my routine. It's been interesting from that perspective because I didn't realize I'd been doing it that long. Because it's just the thing I do before I go to sleep every night. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Other than that, man, I've been uh, loving the uh, remote work life that I got going on here. I've I've also almost finished my second book. You know, the first draft will be done before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day last year is when I initially self-published the previous book. And then I had to like rework oh, yeah. it and add like 200 pages to it. So it'll be interesting just looking back over this past year and how crazy all that has really been. How about you? Oh, well, it's been a bit of a crazy day, man. My mom went to the emergency room this morning for chest pain. They said it was nothing serious, but it's still just, it was a stressful day. I was in the office. And so like I had plans all day. I tried to get all of that consolidated into like an hour right after she called me to say she was on her way to the emergency room. and. Right as I was finishing up my last, like I was talking with my supervisor about some stuff. She She called me to say, hey, it's not anything serious. They're just keeping me around to run some tests. You don't need to come over. (laughs) 
So I spent the rest of the day just sort of sitting there going, all right, let me work on this because I had all this stuff planned that I tried to rush through as fast as I could. Like my supervisor skipped a meeting so that she could talk to me about the stuff we needed to discuss in person. Yeah. <laughs> like I have a lot of respect for her for doing that for me. But yeah, it was a it was rough. In better news, I had my final session on my tattoo. It was finished, but it was sort of a touch up, come back and like highlight a few areas, darken a few areas, that kind of thing, just to make it stand out more. I love it. Man, after it was over, I just went ahead and scheduled my next one. It'll be after my birthday next year. But uh, a friend of mine from church who's an artist, uh, she's the one whose art show I went to earlier this year, is designing it for me. I will say this, though. Don't get a piercing and a tattoo on opposite sides of your body within a week. <laughs> Especially if you're a side sleeper. Ooh. Yeah, I got my my ear pierced, my other ear. Amanda and I went, I got my ear and she got her nose pierced. That was cool until I had work on my tattoo a few days later. And I'm like, I can't sleep because I can't roll over. <laughs> <laughs> that and my favorite Tex-Mex place, uh, downtown Nashville is closing. Their landlord raised the rent like 500% or something on them. Welcome to downtown. Yeah. Place is called Fresco and it's run by like these really nice people. I don't know how long they've been there, but it's been around for a long time. I gave them my contact info because they said they're going to open up somewhere else. Uh, probably not downtown Nashville because the prices are so high. I said, you know, when you open up, just get in touch with me. I will come out there. I'm really sad to see it go. It's one of the few places you could get inexpensive food downtown. Like, good inexpensive food. They also made their own salsa without onions. Oh, that's a big thing for you, yeah. Yeah, like, I could eat almost everything on the menu there. It was wonderful. I loved going there because I just like, oh, it was it was great. So as soon as they open up a new shop, I'm going to be going there. If Even if it's all the way out on the other side of Nashville, I'll drive all the way out there just to go you know, give them business and eat food that is really good. Actually, so I know I told you about my mom today. Before that all happened, we had made these plans. Amanda came up to Nashville after she got off work and ate lunch with me there. So we thought we were going to have to cancel when everything was going on with mom. But then when mom said it, it was cool, I told Amanda, I'm like, all right, well, you know, when you get off work, come on up because mom's good. She's going to be there for a while. Just, you know, having tests run. But uh, she came up. We went out, ate there. What was really funny is I had told them when I went in the last time they said they were closing down. I had said, oh, hey, I need to bring my girlfriend up because she likes Mexican, you know, and she's going to love this place. And like, I've been wanting to bring her, but timing didn't work out to where we were able to get to Nashville. And so it's like, I've got to bring her before you guys close. So I walked in with her and they're like, you brought her. <laughs> like, they remembered me and like, it was great. Nice. Yeah, they're really good people. I really like that place. So I'm hoping that they can find a good location and be very successful with that new one. Let's go ahead and move on into book club. So we are in section three of Art Matters because your imagination can change the world by Neil Gaiman. And the quote that he has at the beginning of the book is really awesome. 
the world always seems brighter when you've made something that wasn't there before. This third section is titled Making a Chair. In it, Gaiman tells a story about assembling an office chair, something that many of us have done at one point in time. Will and I have done together. Yeah, that was a lot of profanity, wasn't it? And alcohol. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> oh, college days. College? <laughs> that was like a year ago. For you, I don't... No, it's been a couple of years since you and I put a, a chair together. Because the previous one I had, we put together. Oh, that's right. We did. I forgot about that. Yeah. But uh, in the chapter, he compares assembling the chair to writing a book and talks about how writing should come with instructions and safety warnings. He implies that there are rules to writing, but they're fun and useful to break, such as using an office chair as a stepladder. <laughs> it's very interesting. I'm enjoying going through this book. It's a sort of a fun thing for a holiday season. So go ahead and uh, check it out in our show notes. I'll have a link to it there. Who's talking to us this week? We got an email from Mike S. saying, Good morning. Writing to find out if there is a compiled list of all the book club books as I'm taking up learning coding and greatly enjoy your podcast on the road. Please assist. Thank you. So Mike, thanks for a great suggestion. I had been thinking about that and wasn't sure anyone would be interested. So you just confirmed that. We don't have a place as of yet for all the books in book club. I will look into something over the holidays when I have some downtime between semesters of school. For now, you can read each one in the episode show notes on the website, www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. And uh, send us an email with your contact information to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a Complete Developer Water Bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. So we'll start out with a definition. Per Wikipedia, a regular expression, otherwise known as a regex or regxp, which I never use that term and I don't know anybody that does, but according to Wikipedia, somebody does, is a sequence of characters that define a search pattern. Usually these patterns are used by string searching algorithms for find or find and replace operations on a sequence of text or for input validation. This technique was developed in theoretical computer science and formal language theory. Regular expressions are used in search engines, search and replace dialogues of word processors, and text editors. They are also used in text processing programs like SED and AUK, and in lexical analysis. Most programming languages provide some means of working with regular expressions, either in core language itself or in libraries. You know, another place that I have seen regex that you don't have listed here is in some Angular apps yes. doing input validation. Yeah, input validation and routing and a bunch of stuff. We've done a lot with input validation for like, all right, validate that this is, yeah, this meets an email address yeah. with the, you know, the one mm -hmm. that's like a yard long. Yeah. <laughs> that ridiculous one that everybody yeah. copies and pastes. This one guy wrote it and it worked <laughs> and we didn't touch it again. Yeah, and we, we'll get into this here in a little bit. You know, one thing about regex that a lot of people really have heartburn about is how complex it is and how hard it is to change a regular expression. It's basically a yeah. write once language for most people. 
And so, you know, that's why we kind of wanted to cover what's going on under the hood a little bit, maybe to peel that back and make it a little bit easier. So we'll start out with a bit of history, you know, for where this comes from, because it will explain a lot of things that are going on here, because you understand that this is like early computer science stuff that has just been pulled forward. So it originated in 1951 when Stephen Cole Clean, a mathematician, big surprise there, described regular languages, and we'll get into that in a minute, using his mathematical notation of regular events. So the reason everyone hates it is it is the math of language. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the thing about it is, is language, like formal language, not spoken language. Right. Which might be why I like it, because I like math. I'm a weirdo. Yeah, well, you know, you might as well be. You get the face for one. And you have a face for radio. <laughs> hey, we both have the faces for radio. <laughs> you know? We're, you know, our, our main talent in the show is ugly and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. You know, making buzzards puke, that kind of stuff. So speaking of making buzzards puke, let's talk about where this stuff actually comes from a little bit more. Regular expressions had their origins in theoretical computer science in the fields of automata theory and the description and classification of formal languages. Earlier implementations of pattern matching, such as those that were used in the language Snowball, didn't use regex, but they kind of had their own constructs. So this was a thing that was building, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. It entered popular use in uh, 1968 for two reasons text matching in an editor, and lexical analysis in a compiler. Ken Thompson built one of the first implementations and used it in the QED editor to match patterns in text files. Yeah, and his implementation used just-in-time compilation to IBM 7094 code, and he would later add this implementation to the Unix text editor, ed. And this implementation would eventually lead to the implementation in GREP, whose name derived from the command for regular expression searching in the ed editor. Oh. So like, that's where that name comes from. Self-referential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Bell Labs was heavily involved in regex in the 70s. Like they were involved in just computers in the 70s. Like they did all the things. But Bell Labs were. Yeah. The se- like, no. <laughs> So VI, Lex, said, Auk, Exper, and Emacs have some of their origins during this period. So these are you know ancient software packages that you're probably pretty familiar with if you use a lot of Unix or Linux-based systems. Yeah, like we use VI at school on the server. Yeah, and I've used Vim, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. Sometimes that's just the best way to edit stuff. I, you know, I'll use Nano if I can, but if I have to use Vim... I can get in and I can actually get out, you know, colon Q, enter. If you don't want to save anything. Yeah. Colon WQ if you want to write. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I I mean, I tend to do like the colon W and make sure that it's saved and then get out because I don't overly trust my abilities. But fair fair enough, fair enough. I'm a two-step saver. Yeah. Because I've seen stuff crash during close. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Most of the stuff I do is for school anyway, so... I'm talking like router config stuff where it's like you bricked it if you broke it. You know, like, you don't do that. Yeah, that makes sense. The POSIX 2 standard in 1992 included these standardized forms. 
Now, in the 80s, more complicated regexes arose in everyone's favorite pearl. Yes. Henry Spencer wrote this implementation in 1986 and later wrote an implementation for TCL. Uh, Postgres uses this implementation, by the way, so it's still in active use besides Perl. Yeah, Perl has continued to iterate on this with the newest iteration, Raku. Yeah, that's the new name for the new version of Perl. I'm not sure. I missed the news on this, so huh. like that one kind of caught me flat-footed, but they, I guess, have changed things enough that they are rebranding. Interesting. Cool. It's adding a lot of improvements, including the ability to define parsing expression grammars. Well, I kind of want to look into this. It sounds kind of cool. Yeah. You know, so Perl is about to go crazy with all this stuff. And there's a lot of application with, you know, natural language search and, you know, data cleanup and those kind of things that they needed to do. So they're actually doing it. I'm a little bit jealous of you writing this outline now. Just a little meta for you guys. I originally had put this in our Kanban board to write. And I took it. Yeah. Well, what happened? I was writing an episode that came out right before this one last week. And um, I had this in there because I had the idea for it while I was in class learning about formal language theory. And Will saw it and was like, hey, man, do you mind if I write that? Because I hate regex and I think it'll help me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I do that exact same thing with stuff. I'm like, hey, let me take this because I don't know anything about it or because it, it frustrates me and I want to learn about it. And so I was like, yes, please do. But now I'm a little jealous because of all the stuff you got on here. It's kind of cool, man. Yeah. So regex also started appearing in a lot of other places, especially in the 80s and following decades. ISO SGML consolidated in the 80s, and it included a regex implementation. Uh, SGML was kind of a precursor to HTML and a lot of other structured markup languages. And it was still around in the 90s. Like, I, I remember having a book on it and, like, trying to screw around with it in VB4. Wow. For some reason. I think because the book was on sale. <laughs> Probably. Like, I didn't have another good reason for that, but... You know, if you're at the end of the power line and you got a VB4 compiler, then you do what you do. The kernel of the structure specification language standards consists of regexes. And this is the like the DTD element group syntax. So you're going to start seeing this stuff in XML and those kind of things as well. Yeah. Regexes also appear in web servers such as Apache, Nginx, and IIS. Yeah, especially for routing. Yeah. You know, in the late 2010s, several companies started to offer hardware implementations of PCRE compatible regex engines that are faster than CPU implementations. So we're talking about like chip based. Mm. You know, you can put the load on those because you're doing so much text processing that you needed a die factory. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you're going to go down a crazy road, like you go the full way, you know? Yeah. Why not, man? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show principle of software design. It's like, if you're going to do something nutty. Do it to the extreme. Yeah. like Yeah, I follow. I follow. So now we're going to get into some definitions. And we got quite a few of these. We're probably going to go through them pretty quickly to get into the more interesting things. But this is what we'll have for reference throughout the rest of the episode. First off, a pattern is roughly equivalent to a regular expression and is used to specify a set of strings for a particular purpose. Right, so they have to match the pattern to be in that set is essentially the way to think about it. 
a match is defined as a string that meets the specifications of a particular pattern. So if it's like all numeric characters, then, you know, one, two, three, four matches. One, two, three, A does not. Yeah. All characters in a pattern are either a literal or a meta character. And a meta character is a character that has special meaning to a computer program. They're designed to be easy to type on an ASCII keyboard. Right. And meta characters and literals together form pattern specifications that are used in regular expressions. Now, a wildcard character is a placeholder that's represented by a single character, like the star sign, that can be interpreted as a sequence of zero or more literal characters. Now, real quick, we'll also talk about globbing. Globbing is used with file name searches to specify sets of similar file names. For instance, txt star will match txt1 and txt2, and also it'll match txt. Yeah. A token is a character or group of characters used in a pattern. In the previous example, txt might be considered a token. And so a token can be followed up by a quantifier. A quantifier specifies how many instances of that token are expected. So you can put TXT inside parentheses and then put a token after to say it's got to have TXT five times so that you don't have to type it over and over again. Right. A regular language is a formal language that can be expressed using a regular expression. A formal language consists of words whose letters are taken from an alphabet and are well-formed according to specific set of rules. We'll get into that a little bit later, talking specifically about formal language theory, and sort of that's what brought on this episode was me studying that in school. Like, learning that made regex click for me, and I was like, let's do this episode, and then Will was like, I want to do this episode, and I'm like, please do, because it'll be fun. Yeah, and I mean, (laughs) I had this stuff in school too, but I think I hadn't slammed into regular expressions enough before I was exposed to this material for it to help. Yeah, it kind of depends on the order. So like for me, I had been using regex for a while in the workplace because, you know, you have to. And so when I got the theory behind it, suddenly the stuff that it's just like, well, this is just how it works went from, all right, you just accept this is how it works to, oh, that's why it works that way. I get it now. Right. Yeah. So a set is closed under an operation if performance of that operation always produces a member of that set. For instance, positive integers are closed under addition, but they're not closed under subtraction because you could subtract a positive integer from another positive integer and you get something that's not in the set of positive integers. Right. Groups are sections of regular expression enclosed in parentheses. They can be named or referred to by position. Parentheses create numbered capturing groups, and these can be used to extract part of a match. Yeah, so let's get into the basics here a little bit, just as far as like how regex syntax works. A pipe character, which is like the vertical bar, is used to separate alternatives. So it could be A, pipe B would be A or B as an option. Parentheses are used to define the scope and precedence of operators, just like in regular math, because that's where this comes from. Uh, Parentheses may be omitted if the order of operations is clear, just like regular math, because that's where this comes from. A quantifier after a token specifies how often that element is allowed to occur. 
common examples are the question mark indicates zero or one occurrence of the preceding element. So, you know, it's like a question mark. Is there an A or not an A? But there can either be zero or one. Really, it really it would be a B question mark because it is to be or not to. I was be. trying to actually avoid that, but uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I just figured I'd just go right on in there. So the asterisk determines, you know, indicates zero or more occurrences of an element. Yeah, a plus sign indicates one or more occurrences. So you have to have at least one, but you could have nine thousand or just one. Right, it's characters in Highlander. Yeah. A wild card shown as a period matches any character. For instance, the string A period asterisk B indicates a sequence that has an A with a B following at some point later. And note the wild card in there. Yeah. You can combine these constructs to build much more complex regular expressions in a manner similar to the way that you can build up complex arithmetic formula from simple arithmetic operators. So it's the same kind of principle. Yeah. Now we're going to kind of get into matching and qualifiers. And we'll pull this from Rex, Rex Egg. Egg. Yeah, they got a really cool T-Rex logo and they've got a lot of good stuff on regular expressions. So we need to talk about how quantifiers tell you how matches occur. So if you recall from earlier, you add a quantifier after a symbol to indicate how many of the characters, sub-expression, or token to the left are required for a match. If you have a sequence of characters followed by a quantifier, the quantifier only applies to the last character unless you group the characters. Yeah. Right. So it's whatever the previous symbol was. It's kind of like an exponent. Yeah. If you have like A times B times C squared without parentheses, then it's A times B times C squared. Yeah. But if you have a parentheses around A times B times C, it's that squared. Right. And it actually, you know, gets expressed kind of the same way yeah. in algebra too. So, that, I mean, that's... If you kind of know the basics, if you know PEMDAS, it kind of makes sense. Right. Which that's not a type of DOS. That's a mnemonic for <laughs> how algebra works. Uh, I hate being in a field with so many abbreviations. It really starts getting painful after a while, especially when you get to the edge. Oh, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So... What makes quantifiers complicated is how many different things in a string might match the expression that you give the engine. So, for instance, what happens if there's a wildcard in there and there are multiple places in the remainder of the string that match what follows the wildcard? So, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, you know, text-wise. Like, if you've got A star B, well, you could have AB that matches, but you could also have A, B, C, BB, and you have multiple places where the AB pattern gets matched. So how do you determine which one to grab? So when you start getting quantifiers and wildcards in there, this gets weird. Or yeah. It's difficult to think about. What helped me was learning this from the other direction, the more restricted finite state machines. Yeah. And then going up through the Chomsky hierarchy to Turing machines. Right. And that totally makes sense. It's just it kind of depends on where you're coming from. I'm looking at this. I'm like, okay, I see where we are here. And I'm like, what helped me was learning like the very, very simple, like you only have a language of, of like a few characters and a few qualifiers and stuff. And then working up to add complexity to it. Right. And then as you get into the more complex, what is regex? It's like, oh, that makes sense why they have that there because they need it because 
if it was put into a machine like this or an automata, then it would be that way. Right. So we need to talk about how matches occur. Yeah. Particular with quantifiers. So a greedy quantifier causes the algorithm to take the longest possible string that still matches the expression. And this is the default. The plus and period quantifiers are examples of this. Right. Now, docile quantifiers cause the naturally greedy algorithm to give back matching characters if taking them causes a match to fail later on. Right. So, you know, the period star quantifier is an example of this. It starts with a greedy match. That's the the period. And then backtracks and gives up the matched characters if the following quantifier isn't met or if the following part of the match doesn't occur. Lazy quantifiers cause the algorithm to return to the shortest possible match. Right. And star question is an example of this. It tells the algorithm to match zero or more characters, but return the shortest successful match out of that. Helpful quantifiers cause the algorithm to start by matching a few tokens as the quantifier allows and then expanding as needed. Right. So A asterisk B is a good example of this. The asterisk will cause it to start out by matching zero characters, then expand if that's the only way to get a match. Yeah. So it's still as short as possible, but it's willing to expand versus not willing to expand. So finally, there's possessive. A plus plus period is an example of this. The plus signs cause the algorithm to greedily match all the characters in the string But when it hits the period at the end, there are no characters left to process, causing it not to match. So it doesn't ever give those up once it's got them. So now we're going to talk about replacement. And Will pulled this from regularexpressions.info. Right. Regexes can also handle character replacements. Replacements happen when a match occurs. They can replace the match text itself or the text before or after it. The match triggers this event, but it's not necessarily a replacement of the match, if that makes sense. So you find a sequence of characters and you go, hey, I want to replace it. I want to replace whatever the five characters were before it or find some other group before it. It's kind of an eventing mechanism, not a execution mechanism, if that makes sense. Yeah, this, so like the match triggers that. Yeah, this can be anything from simple literals to named back references within the expression. Yeah, uh, You could also do transformations of the text, for instance, finding a pattern and then converting it to something else like uppercase. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how regex replacement works. Now, it is dependent on the system, you know, and that's a topic of its own. Uh, there's a lot of examples on that regular expressions.info site, especially talking about you know replacing back references and those kind of things. But generally what you're going to do is you're either going to replace something with a literal or with a captured group from the string itself. So you just go, hey, every time you see this, replace it with this raw text or go find this other thing once you found this and pull that in there. Mm -hmm. Captured groups can be referenced by position, by leading with a backslash and following with an offset or referenced by name. So you can do either, you know, either approach. Most people that I've seen write regexes don't name them. They just do it by position because it's like, hey, this code's not maintainable anyway. You know, like you're going to have to get in there and really work at it to be able to maintain the regex. And so most people just don't you know, go to the extra effort to make that very maintainable because it's not by default anyway. Yeah. So now we're going to discuss a category that uh, Will titled Unicode 
purgatory. Yeah. So if you remember from our text processing discussion, Unicode makes all the things harder. Yes. You know, in theory, any token set can be matched by regular expressions as long as it's, as it's predefined. Many modern engines do have some support for Unicode because it turns out we kind of need it because there's more than English on this planet. But this can be really tricky as some libraries have expectations that you're going to give it stuff in UTF-8. Some think that it's going to be UTF-16 or UTF-32. And you don't really know until you actually start reading documents, which we as developers do not do. So that will be unpleasant. A lot of them also only support the basic multilingual plane. So it's, in other words, 16 bits. Few of them can handle the full range of what Unicode can do. So you may get in there and go, oh, it runs into some character. It doesn't know what to do with because it's not built for it. What happens? You also run into some interesting issues when extending ASCII-oriented constructs to Unicode, especially once you start trying to cross Unicode blocks. Yeah, and you know we could have an extended discussion on this, but we have a limited amount of time. Just know that this is a spot that's going to hurt if you have to do it and go ahead and figure out how you're going to approach it if you think this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Because Unicode's just a whole other animal. So now we'll get to Beej's favorite thing, which is formal language theory. <laughs> I don't know if that's my favorite. No, like you smile, dude. It's like a, if I say ice cream to a kid, the kid smiles. If I say formal language theory to you, you smile. Fair enough. I do have a quiz on it tomorrow morning, so. Oh, so it's that kind of smile. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You looked happy. I just, you know. Actually, now I think about it, it was more like a possum eating a peach seed. It was just kind of, maybe not so much happy. It's just like, I got to do this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. But it's still, it's all on you. Yeah. So before we get into this, I mentioned something earlier, and I want to bring this up. I talked about Chomsky's hierarchy. And Will's looking at me funny because I literally just pulled out my textbook. <laughs> and this is Noam Chomsky, by the way, who did a whole lot of stuff on formal language theory and then kind of like got into political commentary and other stuff. Yeah. But his language theory stuff is pretty core to anybody's understanding of these topics. Yeah. So basically it is, if you think of a Venn diagram, but instead of having separate areas, you have just concentric circles where the, the inner circles are smaller sets of the, the outer circle. Okay. So at the most central circle is regular expressions. Right. And these are recognized by finite state machines. At the furthest out are type zero. They're typed zero through three because we zero index in computer science. But it's things that are recognized by Turing machines. So these are phrase structures. So this is anything that is in the phrasing of you have a left and a right where this equates to that. So alpha equates to beta or alpha leads to beta. So, you know, this word means that this phrase in a language has this effect. Like this keyword does this thing, this symbol, this plus sign adds these two together, that sort of thing. So anything with that phrase structure, it's the big circle. The next one is context sensitive. That is basically 
the amount of stuff on the left cannot be bigger than the right. And it just sort of gets more and more narrow until you get to regular expressions or machines that recognize them. And my quiz tomorrow is literally on recognizing what area of the Chomsky hierarchy a formal language is in. So a formal language, it has four components. It has the characters, the full list of characters and not variables, but basically they're like variables. They can mean characters, but they're not the terminal. It's got the terminal characters, which are this is what constitutes a word or phrase in this language. So that would almost be like expressions, maybe? Yeah, yeah. But so not like, expressions because it's it's math? Yeah. It'd be like the full language is the characters and the rules. And then the terminal is just the characters. They're allowed in the in the expression. And then the product is like all the rules put together for that language. So like you have a start point and then like you can call it, you can create loops, you can do all sorts of stuff in there. And then the final is what is called the language is the set of words that are possible in that language. So you could have it to where there's only like one word in that language, or you could have it to where... So whatever Groot speaks. Yeah, right? Well, he's got three words. <laughs> three words, yeah. Yeah, but you could, you could have that. But that's kind of the very basics of formal language theory. So getting to how that relates to regular expressions. Regular expressions consist of constants, which denote sets of strings, and operator symbols, which denote operations over those sets. The standard definition is, given a finite alphabet sigma, the following constants are defined as regular expressions. The empty set, theta, is defined as the set having no elements. An empty string, epsilon, is the set containing only the empty string, which is different than an empty set. Right, because it has something in it. It's something that doesn't have anything in it. No. (laughs) So an empty set is saying this array equals null. This trailer doesn't have any boxes in it. Yeah. But if it's the one that's the empty string, it's got an empty box in the trailer. Right, yeah. And only an empty box. Yeah. A literal such as A in sigma, which sigma is the finite alphabet, denotes the set that contains only the character A. So back to what I was saying, that would be your terminal alphabet there. So like if A is the only thing you can end with, then you may have like start A and intermediate. So you start with start and start says like start leads to A intermediate and intermediate leads to either A intermediate or intermediate leads to A. So what you would basically have is A and then as many A's or as you want after that. Right. Because then it fits the set. Yeah. So given two regular expressions, R and S, the following operations over them are defined to produce regular expressions. So concatenation, R, S, denotes a set of strings that can be defined by concatenating a string in the set R you know, with a string in the set S. Alternation, R pipe S, denotes the set union of sets described by R and S. In other words, it combines the sets. So A pipe B star denotes A, B, 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 
BBB, BBBBB, BBBBBB. But only one A. Yeah. It's either A or B. Some set of those. Yeah, some number of Bs. Because that was the one that got the quantifier on it. And the clean star, and that's not Mr. Clean, that's the clean we were talking about earlier, R star denotes the smallest superset of the set described by R that contains epsilon, which is the empty string, and is closed under string concatenation. In other words, every member of the set of strings that could be produced by concatenation is already in the set. Yeah. So, like, you could, in your language, which is the the set of words that are possible within that formal language grammar, you could have that epsilon, that empty string. So there's nothing there. And I'm not going to confuse you guys by telling you what we use in class because we're using set theory connotation and not this. So it's a little bit different, but it, yeah, we need to do a, an episode on set theory. Yeah. Yeah. At some point. I put one in the Kanban already. Okay. <laughs> we're going to at some point. It's really cool. But that could be part of the language. The language could be nothing, could be empty string. So if you have something like what we talked about earlier, A pipe B star, A or B star, it could be A or it could be zero or any number of Bs. That zero Bs would be empty string. Right. So I guess now it's time to talk about expression compactness because one nice thing about regex is that they are very, very compact. awful thing about them is they sometimes are a little too compact. Except for that one regex for email addresses. Well, it's actually pretty compact considering all the rules. It's just... Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Every developer I know has a file that has that in it somewhere that they just go copy. Yeah. It's one of those things. Someone figured it out. And if they ever change the rules for email... Yeah, we're just all dead. Yeah. (laughs) Like It's going to be an email apocalypse. That's it. What would have to happen is they would have to expand on the rules. Yeah. Because all the old emails wouldn't work then. So they'd have to expand on them and not restrict them. And they'd have to like protect their canned goods from zombies and all stuff in the interim. It's not going to happen. Basically what we're saying. (laughs) So wildcards turns out can be defined in other ways. For instance, in the set Sigma, a plus can also be defined as a, a star and a question can be defined as A or Epsilon. That makes sense. So to put that in human language, yeah, in the finite language that we have where A is the only character that we can make up words with, A plus is one or more A's. A star is zero or more A's. So if you go A, A star, you're saying A and then zero or more A's. The complement operator, referring to the set of items not in a given set, can also make a lot of expressions more compact, but it's not strictly necessary. Because mm-hmm. you're just saying, hey, all the stuff that isn't in here, do something with it with what is in here. Yeah. So let's briefly discuss equivalence. Because of the facts noted above, there is more than one way to create a regular expression that denotes equivalent sets of possible strings. Like we just said that. It is possible to write an algorithm that can take two regular expressions and determine whether they are equal by reducing them to minimal deterministic finite state machines and checking for isomorphism or equivalence. Right. It's possible by somebody, not by me. 
I mean, this is kind of like an expression tree type thing. Like you look at it and you go, hey, here's how this is structured. If I have all the set of things that will go into this one and I have, you know, that same set, if it goes in this other one, is it going to come out the same for all of them? They're equivalent-ish. They're isomorphic. Yeah. They're not the same structure, but they're the same result. Yeah. Is the best way to put that. So now that we have completely just like cooked your brains fried our brains yes i was was saying ours because you know we've been yeah but i mean ours were not so great when we started so i mean like that's not a fair comparison Uh, that's true true we're going to discuss some of the uses of regular expressions we kind of highlighted this a little bit at the beginning yeah the most obvious is text processing because you kind of need them for that yep find and replace templating systems scraping the syntax highlighting in your IDE of choice. Yeah, unless you're using Vim, in which case you're just using regexes raw because you can't get through life without them. <laughs> yeah, you also use them a lot in data validation and cleanup. So uh, bulk data processing systems often use a ton of regex. I worked with a guy at one of my previous jobs who did regex day in, day out, Perl stuff. And I was sitting there working on something and I had a regex that was like 15 characters long, right? That I copied from somewhere, obviously, because I don't write these if I can get away with it. And the guy came in for something else, looked over at my screen briefly and goes, that doesn't handle a zero link string, by the way. And then just walks out of the room because he's lived in that world so much that it just like he looks at it and goes, hey, there's a problem. So like if you're doing any kind of bulk data processing, you will see Like, you'll get very, very good at regex because you'll have to. Yeah, makes sense. Compilers, lexers, and data parsing for computing. These are used to find symbols and incorrect syntax, removing dead space, white space, and noise before processing. Right, like comments. Just, you know, remove them from the string, clear up the white space, you know, rework things so that it can be parsed in the next step if you have a multi-pass compiler. You know, you're doing all the lexing and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you're going to use these in search as well. Uh, this includes Google algorithms, you know, database text search. If you're doing Elasticsearch, any of those kind of things, a lot of your document databases for processing JSON, they're going to make use of it as well. You're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see it a lot on the web. So pattern matching for web routes. You know, in Apache, if you go and mess around in the config file, there you are. Your routes, for instance, in Angular with, you know, with Angular Router or in, you know, .NET Core, you know, when you're processing incoming web requests, you know, figuring out what endpoint that those go to, that's going to be based on regex. As I mentioned earlier, uh, validation of incoming data, make sure it meets certain rules and uh, also cleanup of potential code injection vulnerabilities. Right. So you might write a regex that says, hey, I don't want semicolons and you know single quotes coming in from something that's eventually going to SQL yeah. because bad things happen from there. Of course, that's not sufficient to actually stop all of it, but it'll stop some. They also have a potential use in genetics and other things that can be tokenized. Yeah, so I found some stuff, you know, because if you think about it, in a genetic code, you have a grammar, essentially. You've only got, you know, what, four base pairs, and there's a limited set of things you could do. So it's potentially reasonable that somebody could use something very similar to regex to go, hey, you know, here's a sequence that's problematic, or here's a sequence that produces a malformed protein. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you could write a finite state machine recognizer where you have sequence DNA that runs through that sequence and looks for a specific pattern. Right. And the interesting thing is because of the way that DNA works, it has a bunch of randomness, but then it's got like turn on and turn off sequences. Right. So if you could have a machine that looks for a turn on sequence and then looks for the bad sequence within that. And then does a regex replace. Yeah. Well, yeah, you could. That would be. Because you think about the mechanism. It's like, hey, I found a match. When I do a string replacement, the regex doesn't necessarily actually mess with the memory. It's usually an underlying framework. It's like this sequence here needs to be changed. Yeah. Go do that. So there's a lot of other applications. If you could tokenize financial behavior into a regular language, it might be possible to detect some patterns of fraud as well. Now, that's an if. That's a pretty big if because somebody's going to have to be an Uber nerd to do that. But there are people like that. So finally, a few notes for developers when you're using regex. First off, be careful about the lifetime of your regex. Right. So like if your runtime dynamically generates code or builds up a abstract syntax tree for use in you know processing a regular expression, make sure you understand how long those things hang around. So for instance, if you do a regex compile in the older versions of .NET, my understanding is, is that they hung around as long as the app domain was around, which could be very interesting if you don't ever reboot a server and that thing just keeps them Yeah, and users are entering them. You also need to be really aware of what situations can cause a regex to be regenerated because that might hurt performance. So like if you change it, does that cause a regen on the spot? There's a lot of those kind of things. Or if you have capture groups, for instance, that are variable. You may need to express the thing in a different way so that you're not leaking memory. You may want to cache regular expressions that are frequently used by your application, especially if code generation is a time-consuming process. Right, which it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just may not be noticeable because the rest of your stuff is slow. But like, if you need it to be performant, you're going to have to kind of get a handle on that. Uh, Also, you got to be really careful about escape sequences. Generally, you're going to be encoding regular expressions as string literals. And if these are in code, make sure that you are specifying the regular expression that you think you're specifying and not something that is messed up by your choice of escape sequences. So for instance, backslashes, C sharp, they don't necessarily mean a backslash. Do you get two of them? Yeah. They mean, hey, this is, you know, the next character, do something with it. So it's backslash T, that's a tab. So you got to be aware of that impact and it makes the regexes a lot uglier when you have escape sequences in them so you might be better off specifying them in a way that doesn't require dealing with escape sequences at all especially if you have to modify them at some point in the future or you have somebody that doesn't use your language having to modify them finally readability is tricky at best comment heavily don't assume that programmers are any good at dealing with regex because most of us aren't that world just doesn't exist anymore. They're not taught very much. Or do you know if they're even taught at all in boot camps? No, I doubt that strongly. They probably go, you know, here's the cargo cult explanation of what this does. Yeah. Just type that in and leave it alone. Yeah. Which is not saying anything bad about developers who, who went to boot camps. It's just they're not taught because they're not used. And most of the uses for regex, like that email regex, someone has created something that you can reuse. 
Yeah, there's a guy in a basement somewhere that did it. I mean, it's like the same principle, like you don't make your own iron. Yeah. If you have a hammer factory, you don't make your own iron. You know, so most people don't write their own regexes either, and it's completely fine. Also, be careful about using long string literals or even worse, concatenation to create regexes in your source code. Yeah, I've seen that where people will concatenate several smaller ones together because they don't want it, you know, wrapping. Yeah. And that's great until somebody has to modify it. Yeah. And, you know, some of those strings are straight up literals and some of them have escape sequences in them or because people have been touching different parts. You just have to be really, really careful about that kind of stuff. So regular expressions are a deep subject. Not only is the concept complicated, but the output looks a lot like a cat sat on your keyboard. And you get some opinions about how you should study and express like the understanding of them. Like you, You've seen it between myself and Will about our differences in opinion on just understanding them. A lot of theory underpins the concept of regular expressions, and a lot of things need to be taken into account when using them in a professional environment. However, all that said, they are a powerful tool once you understand what's going on under the hood. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to you know kind of reiterate something. Sometimes you're going to run into constructs in code in a professional environment where you don't completely know what's going on and you've just got to borrow an implementation. You'll do this with regex. You'll do this with a lot of really complicated stuff or stuff that's very specialized. And that's completely okay. It's great if you want to learn more, that's fine. But a lot of times in a professional environment, you don't have the time and you need to be aware that you're not supposed to know everything. Get a hold of a specialist on stuff like this, because if it is complex enough, more than likely by the time that you can do it efficiently, you've lost so much time that it's not going to be efficient anyway. This is hard to deal with for a lot of developers because we have a culture that says, I've got to know all the stuff that I'm supposed to know. And Beej and I both are terrible at regex. You know, we can make it work. But it's about like our skills with CSS. It's like we can make it work, but that is not our day job. And it's probably better to get somebody else. You're going to run into a few things like this in computing. And it's completely okay to find something that you do know that works and then use it. So don't be afraid to do that. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.